buzzing and life as always keeps moving on <laughs> hello my name is james and welcome to another episode of the lo gaming podcast sadly this will be another solo episode but i really don't have myself to blame for that because i got behind the ball in rounding up any co-hosts this week but it doesn't really matter because the show must go on right okay so as as I was thinking about what to talk about this week, I realized by the time this episode releases, it'll be September 1st, meaning eight months of the year have come and gone, which is crazy to think about, honestly. So I thought, why not reflect on the year and share my thoughts on some of the best and worst parts of 2020 so far? Now, this isn't going to be some kind of top 10 list or anything, so it's going to be a very loose and horribly unorganized affair. So that's your final warning to get out while you still can. But all excuses aside, let's get started. So I'm going to do something that I normally wouldn't do, and that's start with a negative. I'm a firm believer in the sandwich approach to critique. You start with a good, but put some bad over it, and then top it off with another slab of good so you can finish things off on a positive note. But when it comes to this year, you really can't talk about it without first addressing how COVID-19 has affected everything. This doesn't need much explanation. We're all very familiar with the virus and how it's taken over the world as a whole. And yes, games have been delayed because of the pandemic, but that doesn't matter to me as much as the people. All industries across the globe have been affected in some form or another, but the heart of the issue is about people's lives. And we all should be thankful to those who are in essential jobs and how they show up to work day in and day out. And I'm not just talking about medical professionals either. I'm thinking of the grocers, truckers, mail delivery, and utility workers, because without them, we would all be in a much worse place than where we are now. So be nice to the essential workers you interact with and maybe throw them a smile and a thank you while you're at it. And I, I know you might hate me for saying this, but please remember to do your part and wear a mask. It, it really isn't that big of a deal. I know we all get kind of upset because somebody told us to do something, but come on, it, it's just a mask. <laughs> All right, now that we've addressed the elephant in the room, let's move on to more lighter topics. Okay, so our first positive topic actually is related to the pandemic itself, believe it or not, and that is how gaming has helped many people to cope with isolation. As everyone remembers, during the beginning of the year, we were all put into mandatory isolation. And if you were to ask almost anyone, most would probably say that it was the hardest period of the year for them. But for many in isolation, gaming was and still is helping people stay connected during these during these times, you know. In the early months of the year, gaming activity had risen exponentially. Verizon even reported a rise in gaming-related activity by as much as 
on their networks. And naturally, console sales went up too, especially the Nintendo Switch, which is one of the hardest items to find to find in stores. I mean, they get they just can't keep them in stock. And with games being more socially focused, many have turned to games like Animal Crossing New Horizons as a social <laughs> just a social lifeline. Family and friends would visit each other's islands as a virtual hangout and I've even heard stories of people taking online dates in the game, which I think is pretty wild and strangely enduring. <laughs> but one of the coolest things I've seen is a YouTube channel called Animal Talking, run by Gary Witta. He's a screenwriter mostly known for writing Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and he, well, <laughs> many, many years ago, he was the editor-in-chief at PC Magazine, but that's that's a whole other thing. But... He took his house in Animal Crossing and turned his basement, the basement of the house in the game, into a talk show studio, like what you'd see on TV, like The Tonight Show. And and he'd have actual guests come to his island, like various game developers and celebrities, and he'd interview them like it was an actual talk show. But it's all in the Animal Crossing game. It's really cool. If anyone is interested to check it out, uh, the channel is called Animal Talking on YouTube. But really, any game with a multiplayer component has done a lot to keep many connected in this time, uh, including myself. But for those who don't play games, they also had an, out an outlet as well. Game streaming took on an, enti an entirely different role than what it traditionally had before. Suddenly, more people began sharing their game experiences with their friends by streaming their games online, and those who were already well-established in the streaming world were providing places of community for their viewers. Since lockdown has been lifted, though, things seem to be slowly reverting back to how things used to be, but when we look back on 2020, it would be fairly interesting to see how people remember their time in isolation. All right, we've talked about one negative and one positive, so tradition normally dictates we would flip back to another negative, but I say we keep things rolling and we talk about some games, like some good games. So with all the junk that has made up this year, one thing that can be said is 2020 has been a pretty decent year for games. Games like Doom Eternal. Final Fantasy VII, Neo 2, and we've already mentioned Animal Crossing New Horizons. But this year also brought us The Last of Us 2 and Ghost of Tsushima. I mean, it's leave it to Nintendo and PlayStation to deliver high-quality games, right? It's what they do. But even Xbox has released some really good titles this year. You have Ori and the Will of the Wisps, Grounded, Battletoads, uh, the reboot, Wasteland 3, Minecraft Dungeons, and on Windows PC, they have Gears Tactics and Micro Microsoft Flight Simulator. Granted, I haven't played these games, but I definitely want to, especially Ori and the Will of the Wisps. But I haven't played the previous game, Ori and the Blind Forest, so naturally I have to play that game first. But for some reason, I keep pushing it back. But... I really don't have an excuse. I, I have a launch Xbox One, and... It's on the Switch now, so I guess I 
I just need to shut up and, and do it already. But let, let's be honest, it probably won't happen. But switching gears real quick, I thought since we're on the subject of games, I'd go ahead and do something that we haven't really done before. So one thing we really haven't made a point of doing on this show is talk very in-depth about the big releases that have come out this year. And that's because amongst all of the the team, I'm the one who makes a point to play most of those games. So there just isn't much in the way of conversation to be had there. But I'm going to give you my top five games that I've played this year and give a brief summary of what I thought of them. And be aware that I am listing these games in no particular order. So here we go. I'm going to start with Doom Eternal. I played the Doom games way back when it was first released on PC in the 90s, so you can say that I'm I'm a fan. But when they rebooted the game back in 2016, it was amazing. From the music to the visceral action and visual style, it was near perfect. Doom Eternal is just the natural evolution from that game. It's more of more of what you loved, but adds new elements to the game that elevate it even more. So if you liked Doom 2016, you're going to love Doom Eternal. Uh, next up is The Last of Us 2. Uh, this game is another sequel, so your interest should be gauged by whether you're, well, whether you've played the first game in the series, uh, The Last of Us. But if you're wondering if the second game is worth a play, the simple answer is yes. But the detailed answer is a bit more complicated. And I'm leaving it at that because we could spend an entire hour just talking about it. Next is a VR game called Pistol Whip. I'm cheating a bit here because Pistol Whip actually came out late last year for VR on PC. But it didn't come out on PlayStation VR until this past July. And since this list is about the best games I played this year, I'm counting it. But... Pistol Whip is a kind of on-rails, rhythm-based shooter, but the most important part is it makes you feel like you're John Wick. So if that sounds good to you and you have access to a VR headset of some kind, uh, yeah, give it a try. Up next is Ghost of Tsushima. The quick pitch on this game is it's an action-adventure samurai epic whose primary inspiration is the Kura Kurosawa films. It even has a black and white mode, so it can look like an old movie. I would dare say this might end up being my game of the year. So if you like big open world action adventure games, uh, you should definitely pick this one up. Uh, But it's only available on uh, PlayStation 4. So if you're an Xbox or PC user, sorry. Now, We've now this game. <laughs> this game recently has just taken everything by storm, and I'm talking about Fall Guys Ultimate Knockout. And unfortunately, this is still only on the PlayStation, uh, the PlayStation Four, and uh, Steam uh, for your PC. Hopefully, Microsoft is going to get their version on the Xbox soon. But because of 
Fall Guys being a PlayStation Plus subscription game for the month month of August, I guess that was just a part of the deal was that bit of exclusivity. But anyway, basically what Fall Guys is, it's what you get if you took the free-for-all mini games from the Mario Party series and turned them into a battle battle royale. If you still don't know what I'm talking about, you should look the game up. You'll you'll catch on pretty quick. But this game is on my list because it feels like someone finally made a battle royale just for me. Uh, I, I really like this game. So, quick recap. My top five, in no particular order, is Doom Eternal, The Last of Us Part 2, Pistol Whip on PSVR, Ghost of Tsushima, and Fall Guys Ultimate Knockout. And I'm tossing Animal Crossing New Horizons in, Horizons in as an honorable mention because I can. Deal with it. Since we're on the subject of games, I guess we should flip the coin and talk about one of the more disappointing bits of game news this year. And only because it has such a big impact on Xbox's plans for the holidays this season. And that's the the delay of Halo Infinite into 2021. For those of you who don't know, Halo Infinite was meant to pull double duty as Xbox's flagship launch game for their new next-gen console. And there was also an Xbox One version, too, because they planned on it to be the all-encompassing game for the holidays. But due to the challenges in developing games these days and some unconfirmed circumstances, Xbox decided it was better to, to just delay the game. And... I think this was the smart move. The first gameplay demo just wasn't received very well by fans, which is really putting it mildly. But really, it's simply shocking because no one thought Xbox would delay their biggest title. But the fact that they did means the development of that game must be in a pretty rough spot. But at the same time, it also shows how much they actually care about the Halo franchise. Because let's be honest, they can't afford for Halo to fail. So, understandably, they have to be sure that they get it right. And for me, it really hurts to see Halo at such a low. It's a franchise that still has a lot of potential, but where do you take the franchise? What's the natural next step in Halo's evolution? And I don't have that answer, but if I did, well... I wouldn't be talking about it here. (laughs) So for our next topic, um, I'm having a hard time trying to figure out how I feel about it. Because for me, I don't know if I think of this as a positive or a negative, and it has to do with Nintendo. Now, we've already sang the praises of Animal Crossing, and frankly, they only release good games. But what frustrates me about Nintendo is just how they've been so spotty with their communication. So far, they've announced a ton of indies and new entries and popular titles like Bravely Default 2 and A New Harvest Moon. 
They also announced a few remakes like Xenoblade Chronicles and Pikmin 3, but there have been so many exciting rumors surrounding Nintendo this year, from Mario Kart 9 to a bundle of remakes of 3D Mario games, it's hard to tell what Nintendo may have up their sleeves. We just don't know anything, and there's no telling if or well, if or when we'll hear anything at all. They're just not talking, and that's why it's so exciting and frustrating at the same time. At any moment, they could drop that one piece of news that could take our attention away from the next generation of consoles, and it would overshadow any game announced for the holidays. Only Nintendo has the ability to do that, and I'm hoping they do, because I can't imagine going into November without a big Nintendo title. Many of us are hoping for the Breath of the Wild 2, but rumors say that well, rumors say that game isn't going to make it this year. So if that's true, what do they have? Well, all we can do is just hope we'll find out sooner rather than later. So now we've arrived at my personal best of 2020, and that's the reveal of the next generation of consoles, uh, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. So far, the hardware reveals have been very exciting, and even though the games shown on both sides have been hit or miss, for the most part, things are looking pretty good. But... If the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X are the best part of this year, they have been, ironically, one of the most frustrating. And like Nintendo, it mostly has to do with their silence. How is it that we are into September and we still don't have any official word on price, release date, and pre-order in pre-order information for either console. Not only that, but we don't even know what games will be available at launch. There are plenty of rumors floating around, all of which are saying the same thing about the price and release date. So it's possible we already know when the consoles will be released and how much they will cost. But the silence from both Sony and Microsoft is starting to feel... I don't know, would pretentious be the right word? Um, I, I don't know. It's just annoying uh, either way. But, I mean, it's it's like they're two warring factions and we're caught in the middle. We know both consoles are in mass production, so we know the chances of a delay are pretty unlikely. So why in the world are they being so quiet? It just doesn't make sense. So let's look at what we do know. Right now, we know that Xbox has confirmed November is the official release month for the Series X. So the chances of a delay, like I said, is pretty low, uh, at least on the Xbox side of things. And Sony, on the other hand, has remained silent on this front, but it's safe to assume the PlayStation 5 is the same. As for what Sony has officially said, they only confirmed that when pre-orders are made available, it won't be a surprise. So that only means they'll be informing everybody of the pre-order date ahead of time. But they're doing something that seems very, very odd to me. 
right now. They are currently holding a kind of lottery for PlayStation owners to win the opportunity to pre-order a PlayStation 5 early. But it's, like I said, it's kind of weird because they're not just drawing random gamer tags. After entering into the drawing, Sony will look at the submitted accounts to see if their level of engagement with the PlayStation brand is high enough to, well, to qualify for the drawing. So what does that mean? I mean, if I submit my PSN account, what meets their criteria for entry? Is it the number of games I've owned? Is it how many hours I've played in total? Is it my trophy list? The amount of money I've spent in the PlayStation Store? Are they looking at how long I've been a PS Plus subscriber? I mean, (laughs) would it help if I streamed PlayStation games exclusively online? I mean, to me, it's... It's a bad look because you're basically saying not all players are equal. And, ah, gosh, oh, okay, I'm going to take off uh, on, a, on a rant for a bit. And this, this is kind of, okay, it, it's a conspiracy theory. I'm just going to say it right now, but I'm not alone in it. Uh, they claim that the reason behind this lottery is because PS5's are going to be in short supply. So they want to give a lucky few people the chance to pre-order early. To me, the only reason why you would do something like this is to ensure that your list of PlayStation influencers are guaranteed to have PS5s at launch. And as crazy as that sounds, I'm not the only one who thinks this. Some online have been calling this the VIP drawing. So why would they be doing it this way? Because by doing a kind of contest, they think they can avoid looking like they're playing favorites. It gives Sony the plausible deniability to say, no, it was luck. They bought their PS5s fair and square. But the truth is, they didn't draw any names. They actually just cherry-picked them. You get what I'm saying there? By announcing a vetting system in the contest rules gives them a way to cover their rear ends. So if we see a bunch of prominent streamers, celebrity personalities, or elite athletes start shouting out that they won an early PS5 pre-order, then we'll know what's going on. And if that's the case, then PlayStation is going to have a PR nightmare on their hands before launch. (laughs) but yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Now that I have that out of my system, I can take my tinfoil hat off. So, but really though, I have to be honest. I'm, I'm being, being a complete hypocrite here because I totally signed up for that lottery. (laughs) I mean, I have to try, right. But coming back to reality though, everything I just said, probably isn't true. Uh, the real, the real reason I I imagine that they want us to believe, I I guess, is that it's probably their way of making sure they aren't giving a pre-order to someone who is most likely to resell the console on eBay or somewhere else. But the fact of the matter is this, why not just open pre-orders to everyone at the same time? We're all accustomed to the pain of trying to beat the rush of getting online pre-orders. And 
I don't see this making that process any easier. So I don't see why this is anything other than a PR move, honestly, which is why I'm, I'm skeptical and everybody else as well. But bottom line, I'm just ready to find out when I can purchase one of these new consoles. And I know I'm not alone in my feelings because every rumor and alleged leak that comes out gets so much discussion on every forum site and social media platform. The gaming world is ravenous for any official information at this point, and if they wait any longer, it's going to reach a point where gamers are going to start feeling disrespected. Will it lead to consoles not selling? No. But it won't be great if we're all, you know, having this sour taste in our mouths when we're unboxing our new consoles. Because in the end, I don't think we'll be we'll be unboxing a, a, a new PS5 or a Series X thinking, yeah, the silence really meant something. Because let's face it, the, <laughs> the lack of information at this point is... It's just not warranted. <sighs> okay, uh, I'm done ranting. But despite my frustrations, it still isn't enough to dampen my enthusiasm for the new consoles. And even though I've just criticized the pettiness of Sony and Microsoft's competition, it's that very competition that has me most excited. And, and uh, I've said that before. We're all familiar with the old anecdote of iron sharpening iron. Well, these consoles are the result of that very thing. Even though PlayStation was the clear winner of this past generation, it gave Xbox that extra kick to make the Series X. And it was lessons learned from Sony's past and respect for Microsoft that led to the PS5. And now we have new consoles that are approaching games in two different ways this year. PlayStation is promising zero load times and a slightly redesigned controller, which they claim will provide a more immersive experience, while Xbox is flexing their power advantage and constantly adding more customer value to their platform with Game Pass. And with both companies claiming that games can perform up to 120 frames per second at higher resolutions, this has become my most anticipated generational transition since the PlayStation 1 to PlayStation 2. I mean, the future of console gaming is looking brighter than ever, and I personally can't wait to see firsthand what these new consoles will do. And thankfully, we may not have much longer to wait. And those have been my personal thoughts on 2020 so far. Of course, there's so much more I could say, but this is what you get when your plans fall through and have to scramble to put a new episode together in two days. But if you're still here, thank you so kindly for sticking around. My name is James, and I hope you'll join us again in two weeks for another episode of the LO Gaming Podcast.